good morning, everyone. Brother Trent, thank you so much for coming. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, most of you know that Pastor Hamp has been struggling with COVID. He's coming through that well, at least according to his text this morning. Um, junior church is dismissed. Yeah. And um, Chris now seems to be under the weather, and so pray for her, if you will. And so Missy had to be in Virginia Beach and uh, talked to our son Christian. He couldn't make it, and so graciously Trenton was willing to come this morning. So tell Shelly we missed her. But it's good to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much. And so the songs just so well set the stage for where we are uh, in Matthew. So find your place in Matthew chapter 14. And let me set the stage for us before we stand to read the word of the Lord. I, I don't think I have to tell you that many people, uh, and by the way, if you're visiting with us today, welcome. We're glad to have you. Many people have come to the place in life or started out or however you want to put it, doubting who Jesus is. Uh, but that's nothing new for us. If you have been with us, if you're a student of the Word, you're a, a believer, you've followed along with this, or if you've not, just understand uh, that even in Jesus' day, people didn't really believe who He was. And uh, again, you know from chapter 13 and everything that we've built up to this point, uh, that had been the case. Uh, people didn't know. Uh, well, let me back up and say it this way. During the 400 silent years, that was between the intertestamental period, the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, God was silent. That's why it's called the silent period. And you can imagine if you're a Hebrew living during those days, having just come through centuries of the prophets speaking the word of God and giving direction and, and whatnot, and now for 400 years. I, I, the only way I can align that with my thinking is how old our country is, you know, and you compare that to 400 years, that's a long time of nothing from God. Now, that, wouldn't mean, that doesn't mean there weren't things happening within God's people, but, that, but God was silent. And so by the time Jesus comes, people had pretty much come to the place where God had, a left, had left them, and they were abandoned. Um, and so they fell into the same trap that often people fall in today, and that's forgetting that he is God and that he can do anything. And so as you were just singing in worship this morning, I hope you understood and were just reminded that no matter how deep the oceans get, just to use the song, and thank you for that, Trenton, uh, God is able to rise above anything that's going on in our life. And Jesus is proving that now as we're in Matthew. In fact, in last week's text, uh, we got an example or had another example of how the disciples didn't really believe even themselves. And if you watch the progression you know that Jesus started out with the Sermon on the Mount. He began to tell who he is, showing the people. He even addressed the Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, then some of the people who were starting to follow after him. And now it's time for the disciples to get a lesson in who he really is. And that's where we were last time as he told them to feed the 5,000. You remember that if you were here? And if the text says it was 5,000 men, and some commentators believe if you add the women and the children in there, just doing the math could have potentially been as many as 25,000 people. That's a huge crowd. I think the JPJ only holds like 18. Okay, So imagine a crowd larger than that following after you and, uh, and just needing you to do something. Well, now again, the time was come where the disciples needed to learn. And so we come to this passage, very familiar passage as the other of Jesus walking on the water. Okay, so stand with me in Matthew 14. And we're going to read verses 22 through 33 and cover this particular section this morning. 
Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves from the wind, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Amen. May be seated. Wonderful, wonderful story. Again, I'm sure most of you have either heard of that story, you've read it many times over, you've heard it in Sunday school, uh, studied it. However, uh, just a very, very powerful time in the life of the disciples and a very uh, memorable and rememberable, if you will, story. And so as I studied this, I, I had a certain title for the message Um, But then, oddly enough, one night as I was wrestling with trying to sleep, which is kind of becoming a norm these days, um, I just felt like God was telling me that the title should be No Room for Doubt. Now, understanding that this is all about Jesus, the scriptures are all about Jesus, but there's great application that can be made from the text of scripture to us. And so I see here again, similarly to what Jesus had just been dealing with in the 5,000 or the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus now wants to help them with their element of faith. And we see that in the text here. And so I've titled it that uh, for that particular reason. And I think it's, it's a good fit because there's not one of us that doesn't doubt at times. There's not one of us that doesn't go through something or multiple things in life that cause us to have an element of doubt. Uh, Fear, certainly. Doubts, yes. Doubts come along where we have those times in life where we just begin to ask the question of why are things happening this way? What is God doing? Where is God? Uh, And on and on it goes. And I don't have to explain that to you. You know what I'm talking about. So I want us to see this morning what doubt does specifically. And I think you see this in the text and how effective doubt can be in a negative way. But we're going to make it positive. But we have to look at the negative to see the positive sometimes. Specifically, I'm talking about when it comes to doubting the Lord Jesus. Okay, now, if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I've never once had a doubt in my mind scripturally, then you should come up here and preach this morning. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Um, but most of us have some element of not, <clears throat> and, and hear me when I'm saying this, I'm not talking about doubting the picture of who God is. I'm talking about in the storm of life when you've done everything that you know to do and you've processed everything that you know to process and still things don't quite make sense. Satan can get in there and he can twist things and cause us to believe things that are not accurate. And we've got to guard against that. And I think the Lord is helping us with that in this particular passage. So just a couple points this morning. To doubt Jesus, number one, is to remove his authority from him. Okay, I want you to see the dangers. I guess we could title the message that way as well. Uh, what doubt does. And so number one, when we doubt, 
One of the first things we see in this text is that we're removing his authority from him. Notice in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000 and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Now imagine again just being one of the disciples. Try to put yourself there for just a second. And you've seen this now. You've watched the Lord do an incredible and an amazing thing by feeding the number of people that he did. And you were a part of it because he got them involved. You remember there were 12 baskets left over. Well, Jesus didn't go and collect all the baskets. He sent the disciples to do this. So you're seeing all this. You're probably thinking, wow, this man is amazing. He just continually proves himself over and over again that he can lead and take charge of situations. He has all of that ability. And again, we saw that last time. And that was specifically two areas of ability that Israel really needed. Remember the 400 silent years. Rome had begun to grow in power astronomically. And Israel was severely under the thumb of the Roman emperor. And so they were looking for a leader. And so I'm sure their thought must have been, let's take him as our king. Let's do it now. Again, the crowds were supporting this. And that's kind of what happens, right? People have a tendency to gravitate towards where the crowds are. If you ever want to find a restaurant, you go to the ones where the crowds are. I remember one time being years ago in San Francisco with a friend of mine. And we were looking for a place to eat and we wanted some Chinese food. And so we went to Chinatown. That was fun. It really was. And, but we didn't know where to go. And he said, well, you know, my parents always told me you go where there's the most crowd. And so we walked down the street and found the restaurant that had the biggest crowd and went in there and it was awesome. I think he had octopus or something like that. It's kind of gross. But anyway, that's another story. I digress. But the people were doing just that. They were gathering together and they were realizing that this Jesus had the ability to do what no man could do. And so... They were, even according to John now, in John's Gospel, chapter 6, they were ready to take Jesus by force. It had gotten so bad, and now their leader was finally on on the scene, they thought at least, and so they were going to take him by force, but Jesus wasn't going to have it because he knew that his time had not come, and it wasn't for the crowd to decide that either. That's God's business. God had come for a particular purpose, and his timing was perfect. And so the Lord sends them away, sends the crowd away as well, Not just because he's a dominant personality. Some people might say, oh, well, he just had a command of human nature. He knew how to tell people what to do and they would just listen. And some people are like that, right? You may have had a parent that was like that. They could just look at you kind of funny and you would do it. You may have had a boss like that, could tell you something and you just did it. Well, that's not what was going on here. Jesus had authority that was given to him by his father. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in Colossians chapter 1. I was reminded of this this week. Verse 16, for by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. If you were with us some years ago on our Colossian study, You know, that that means that Jesus is the one who holds even the molecular structure of the universe together. All things are held together by his power. And so the point is, beloved, to doubt Jesus and his authority is to remove him. Hear me carefully now. To doubt the Lord Jesus in the authority that God has given to him as God is to remove him of Lord of your life. That's really what that says. 
when we are experiencing doubt to the point where we're questioning God and saying, can you, will you, are you, have you, is it going to be? And doubt begins to grow in our hearts. We're literally removing his authority and to do so is to remove his lordship. Because the reason he has authority is because he is Lord. And that's a challenging place to be. And so I would encourage you, and I speak to my own heart here, when we find our hearts sinking in doubt a little bit based on whatever the situation might be, remember quickly that he has full control over all things. Which is why he said things like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say in Luke chapter 6? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, a torrent or the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Listen, Simply again, meaning that if you doubt his authority over all of life, every aspect of life, you're digging yourself a very deep pit and a pit that is not easily able to come out of. Or if you use Luke's words here, when the troubles of life come, you're not going to stand. It's going to crumble. You're going to crumble because the foundation is built upon shaky ground. You're going to crumble in spirit meaning you're not going to know what direction to go. You're not going to know how to follow what you need to follow. You're not going to hear the Spirit of God working in your life. You're going to lose hope, and then eventually you'll lose faith altogether. That's the downward spiral. And that's how Satan operates. He takes one piece, and he continually builds on it until he chips away at the foundation. And then when that happens, there is no hope left. And basically all that is left then is the sinful nature that rebels. And I think we're seeing some of that in the church today. I'm not talking about Laurel Hill. I'm talking about universal, universally, where people are leaving the foundational teachings of God. Again, we've talked about that ad nauseum, but the culture almost demands it these days that the church follow and give up, the true church I'm talking about, give up the true teaching of God's word for what's comfortable, for what's exciting, for what builds crowds, whatever it might be. And that's a pressure point that a lot of people can't deal with. And so it's easy to give in to those kind of things. So we need to listen and behave knowing that Jesus has all authority over us. And I love some of the songs there, Trenton, just not other than us talking about just the topic, how you selected some of those. And they just fit so well with this because uh, to the disciples' credit and even to the crowd's credit, they listened. Jesus sent them away, and they obeyed. Now, jumping into verse 23, having proven his authority, which again was his normal routine, he went away to pray, which also was his normal routine. And I just want to talk about this just for a minute, because as we think about what it means to communicate with the Lord, we have to use Jesus as our model. Here he is, God come in the flesh. He is one of all authority, the one of all authority, and yet he understood that if he were going to perform what the Father had called him to do and sent him to do in the first place, he was going to have to stay in constant communication with him. 
And that's what we see here. It's interesting, isn't it? He sends the disciples away. He sends the crowd away. And he immediately does what was very normal for him. And he went into solitude just by himself with the Father because he knew that was essential. In fact, in John chapter 12, he says in verse 49 and 50 to the listening crowd, I didn't speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. There are the things I speak, I speak not. I speak just as the Father has told me. In other words, and even in other passages, Jesus will say, I only do what my Father tells me to do. Now the question becomes, how did Jesus know exactly what the Father wanted him to do? Well, you could say, well, he was God himself. Yes, that's right. But in his 100% humanity also, he knew that he had to spend time with the Father. So let that be a lesson simply. Is it one of the main reasons you and I lose our way is because we lose our connection with the Father. We lose our connection with the Spirit. We fail to take everything to the Lord in prayer, just like the old song used to say. And so we should be motivated by this simple little line that's given to us right here that is, is huge in the life of Jesus. And in the life of every, should be in the life of every believer. When we need to make decisions in life, our first method, our, our first part of life should be to go, to go to the Spirit in prayer. Not just an addendum, but actually going to Him for direction and really for whatever we need. And I'm talking about not just individually, but as a church as well. We want and need and must be a praying church. That should be our automatic go-to all the time with everything. And I'm afraid that often, even as a church, we miss what God wants because we, we have our own ideas and ways of doing things and what we think is right and, and often mostly and usually well-intentioned. But we will miss the direction of the Spirit just like the disciples missed what Jesus was doing. You just take that back. I won't re-preach all that again. But just in that moment when the 5,000 needed to be fed, the disciples no doubt were tired and hungry and needed sustenance. And so they couldn't logically think through spiritual truth, which was, wait a minute, the Lord is here with us. Let's listen to what he tells us to do. And so they made up their own minds and did what they were to do. And Jesus rebuked them for it, basically saying, you feed them. So we remove his authority. Secondly, <clears throat> when we doubt who Jesus is, we place ourselves outside of his protection. In other words, we remove ourselves from his protection when doubt begins to creep in. And notice while Jesus was praying, Matthew tell, tells us here <clears throat> that the disciples were well on their journey across the lake. Okay? They'd been out for a while, which would be somewhere most Theologians and commentaries will say somewhere about three to four miles out. But what would they, what they would typically would do is they would stay at least to where they could see the shoreline. That was normal to go across the other side. <clears throat> but in this case, they were now, Matthew tells us, battling a very severe storm, which took them off course and so much so off course that they were now in the middle of the lake which was hugely the problem. And just so you know the situation pretty clearly, or as clearly as I can give it to you, the evening in the Hebrew mindset was broken up into basically four parts of the night. Some of this I talked about last time. The first one was from 
3 to 6 p.m. That was considered kind of early, early evening, if you will, early afternoon for us, us is what we call it, or late afternoon. But that became more of an evening. But the real evening started at 6 p.m. and then went to 9. And then from 9 to 12 a.m. And then 12 to 3 and then fourth and finally from 3 a.m. to 6. That was the time just before dawn. Now, if you listen to what Matthew's saying, he tells us here that this was in the fourth watch of the night. So by this point now, the disciples had been in this little boat all night long. Okay? They had left the 5,000, no doubt, uh, sometime when the people could at least see and know what was going on. So this tells us that all night long the disciples were in the storm, now, or at least out. We don't know exactly when the storm started. At least Matthew doesn't give us that. But the storm at this point now was raging. And so you can imagine again if you're them, you've left, Jesus is behind you, you're forced to battle winds and waves soaking wet, Middle of the night, now if you've been on a boat, and these boats were not big things, in the middle of the night, it can be pretty terrifying. Our son Christian was just telling us that he and Caroline went to Smith Mountain Lake with her family, and they took the boat out at 4th of July at night, and he says, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. And that's out on the lake, Smith Mountain Lake's calm, and the sky's clear, and fireworks are bursting everywhere. Imagine being on the lake, and the storm is literally raging all around you, causes a lot of temptations. Things like, where's Jesus? Right? I mean, you can imagine they were just with him. Why are we here by ourselves? Now, that's kind of my read into this. They don't say that. And so we'll be careful saying that. But that's what I would be saying. Where's Jesus? To their credit, they obeyed and, and did what he told them to do. But even their obedience was being challenged because they assumed that Jesus was back on the shore. I mean, right? That's where they left him. That certainly must be where he is. And so their question had to have been at this point, what do we do now? My guess is they were probably remembering also the time that they were in the storm before this. You remember that back in Matthew 8? The difference was what? Jesus was in the boat with them, right? Now he was asleep and that caused some problems for them as well. Right? Don't you care that we perish, Lord? So they were nervous, but at least Jesus was in the boat with them. And that brought a little bit of comfort. You know, if you could see Jesus in the midst of your troubles, you'd probably be a lot more settled than you are when Jesus can't be seen anywhere. That's just kind of the way our human mind works. But now he's not with them. And so obviously their fear just begins to get the best of them. And when fear takes over, we lose sight of what God can do. We've talked about fear a lot over the years. Fear is very controlling. Causes us to go down wrong paths big time. And I think that's where the disciples were at this point. Notice verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. Again, just put yourself there. I think what we're hearing here is that they lost all sense of Jesus' ability. Isn't that interesting? Why? They've been with him a lot, probably close to two years by now. Jesus had done a lot of ministry. They had seen him perform amazing things. But this time they were in the storm. You see, the other times they weren't in the storm, so to speak. But this time it was their turn. 
And so in the midst of this literal storm, here's the Lord literally walking on the sea to them and all they can think is it's a ghost because that's what makes logical sense, right? Because nobody can walk on the sea. Nobody can walk on the water or can they? If you've ever been there, and I'm talking about there in this kind of mindset, you may be one who said, yeah, I've, I started well with Jesus, heard about him, began learning all about him, even made decisions to follow him by regularly going to church. Some of you can remember back in your early days and remember how church was so important and taking part in spiritual things. Maybe for you, church was your life. So you know what I'm talking about. But then the storms of life came. And following him became a lot more challenging because it didn't make sense or whatever was going on seemed really hard to obey him and it wasn't so good anymore. In fact, maybe you've questioned even your following to this point. And so because of those previous storms in your life, you kind of say, you know, I think it's a whole lot better to just stay on the shore of life, that is. It's a whole lot easier to just stay in this place and a whole lot more comfortable. It's easier. I don't have to deal with being out there with those folks who are in the storm battering them all over the place. I can dictate what I think is best and what I want from life. Basically, you can be in control. We're kind of control freaks anyway, aren't we? Kind of by nature. Anybody a control freak out here? Yeah, a couple of you honest. You know, our sin nature calls us and causes us to be awfully controlling a lot of times. So the disciples become a good example because they display pretty much the emotions and the feelings that you and I have at times when the things of life are doing what they're doing. When we can't see the shore and we don't know where Jesus is and sometimes wonder why he's commanded you to do what you're doing. In other words, like the disciples, they knew what Jesus had said. He had called them to follow him. And now we come across this particular situation, at least the first time Matthew really tells us that Jesus is doing something pretty elaborate here without himself being right there with the disciples, at least from what we're hearing from Matthew. And so I I look at life myself personally and, and, and have to wonder if people like yourselves don't question at times where you started out with Jesus and you knew he commanded you to do a certain thing and now you can't really see what he's doing. And it's not as easy as it once was. Maybe you took a certain job in another city. Maybe you're here because you were called, you believe, by God to come to Charlottesville. Maybe you didn't have a choice if you were being dictated by the military or government or something, but you came and you took this, this place here, maybe to take a part in a, be a part of a certain ministry. You know, people have done that before or married somebody. And now you're looking back and going, what did I do? I think God told me to do this, but I'm not so sure anymore. Well, I'm just simply saying it's in those times when the storm is raging around us that we lose sight of who Jesus is. You've heard me say this before, that especially in counseling situations, I've said many times to couples, it doesn't matter what you're going through in your relationship. The Lord Jesus can fix anything, even in that kind of situation. So we have those two concerns that come up from doubts. 
Not only his authority, but his protection. Thirdly, doubt keeps us from trusting him. Notice in verse 24, the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves. And in the fourth watch of the night, he comes. They see him. He's a ghost. But immediately Jesus says to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, what's interesting is Mark says in this account in chapter 6 that Jesus saw them. He saw them and he says, particularly straining at the oars. I love that phrase, Jesus saw them, meaning what Mark is indicating here is that while he was still on the shore, evidently, he knew all about what was happening with the disciples. Is that comforting? That should be really comforting when we hear that. Because the truth is, the disciples should have known, even in the midst of their storm, that they were going to be okay. Now, that okay might have been that they were going to go to heaven, okay? I mean, the storm could have consumed them. But they should have known that Jesus was going to do whatever was necessary to save them because they knew Scripture. And here's the difference between intellectually knowing something and actually living it. Listen to what Scripture says. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that that Old Testament reference to, to Hades, the place of the dead, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even if... Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not too dark for you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Isn't that awesome? We had the grandkids with us. I just thought about this. Uh, Everett came. Debbie and I are downstairs. Our house is a split level thing. They were upstairs. And we left our door open and said, now, if you have a problem, come get us. And they knew where the bedroom was. And it was one of those situations where you kind of are startled by a noise and you look up and there's a kid standing right there, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> okay. Bobby, I can't sleep. I had a bad dream. Okay. So grandparent, right? Haven't done this for a while. Get up. Okay. I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this little boy? Here, we'll make a bed in the floor. No. Because I'm already, let's go in the uh, the family room. And he got on the couch and he was fine. And and so he went to sleep. And the next night, though, he says, Bobby, what if I have a bad dream again? I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust Jesus. We prayed and and on and on. But you see, children, we're just children in big bodies, right? That's all we are. We've just matured a little bit more in some areas. But when it comes to doubt and fear, we're no different than these little guys. And so I love this. Darkness and light are alike to you. I said to Everett, I said, look, it's okay. We'll leave the lights on. Papi and Gigi are downstairs and you'll be all right. But don't you hear the Lord saying that to us? Listen, the darkness of your night is no big deal for me. The light, the storm in the daytime is no big deal for me. The psalmist also in Psalm 9 says, The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. 
Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And you know the psalm of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we do, don't we? We do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You've been there. When you don't know which direction to go, you just know I just got to keep moving, but I can't see anything. David said, I will fear no evil because I know you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. But you know as well as I do, just like the disciples, that's the Old Testament scripture, they would have known those. They would have known them well. There are times when the storms just get overwhelming and they cloud out the truth. So I think we need reminding, and the Lord knew they needed reminding. They needed reminding that the Lord is good all the time. Amen? He's patient. Aren't you thankful for that? He's merciful. He's gracious. He's always willing. Have you ever noticed this about him? He's always willing to prove himself again. Isn't that amazing? The times where you just are so certain and you rejoice and you worship him because you've seen him do great things and it doesn't take long before the next storm comes and you're going, oh, is he going to do this this time? Is he going to provide for this or take care of that? And, and God says, hey, I know you're like little children. Just know that I'm, I'm the same God and I know what I'm doing with you. He knows what we're dealing with and he's always willing to help. And he did help, Right? In the midst of their storm, he did an amazing thing. He comes walking on the water. But the disciples didn't recognize him again. In fact, they think he's a ghost, some apparition. Their minds were really playing tricks on them. And again, you can understand that. Again, because who walks on water? No human being. Well, I think that's the point that Matthew is trying to get across to us because that's what he's been trying to get across to us the entire time since we started this book, that this is not just an ordinary man. This is God himself. And he's put him on display throughout all of the text. He is the God-man. And as God, he knew the disciples' situation and was more able to meet their needs than anything else, even in the midst of this brutal storm, even if it meant he would come to them walking on the water. And you say, well, sure glad he did that for the disciples because I doubt he'll do that for me. No, maybe not, but he did something better. He actually hung on a cross for you, which was far bigger than walking on the water. So as you think through all of this, you know, we really learn that there's no reason to be anxious about anything, is there? I mean, nothing no matter how hopeless it is or how threatening the situations of life may be. No, no storm, beloved, is beyond the ability of God to keep us safe. Now again, that safe may be that he takes us home. That's not so bad, is it? Such a bad deal? I guess what we're saying here and what the disciples are learning is that following him is not always going to be an easy path. In fact, Jesus made that very clear. The path to heaven is, is very narrow, right? You remember that in his sermon? It's jagged, it's steep, it's treacherous. Very few find the way, but yet that's the place where he will be, and that's the place that we're to walk. 
Somebody once said, the place of security is not the place of favorable circumstance, but the place of obedience to God's will. Boy, that's powerful. Let me read that again. The place of security is not the, favor, not the place of favorable circumstance, but the place of obedience to God's will. Meaning, don't try to decide for God what's best for you. Just follow him. Be purposeful to let him have whatever it is that you're trying to control and let him take it. What he wants from us is obedience. Why? Because he loves us. Have you ever noticed that in our lifetime we have to, as parents, say goodbye to our children in the sense of parenting them like we once did and we say to them, okay, it's your turn now. Go make your money, provide for yourself. Have you ever noticed that God never says that to us? He says just the, just the opposite. I will provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory. The perpetual parent. So awesome. Which leads us to the number four. To doubt him is to deny his love for us. While the others were afraid to move, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. In other words, if that's really you, Lord, I want to be with you. Just give me the commandment. Don't you love Peter's heart here? Lord, it's better to be out there on the waves and the storm with you than it is in this boat that's tossing all over the place. He had the right thought. That was certainly true. Not only a great statement of faith, but just an absolute trust in the Lord. And love because Peter knew that Jesus would never do anything purposefully to harm him in any way. Because Peter knew more than anybody what one commentator says, it's safer to be on the water with Jesus than in the boat without him. How about that? You see again back to last week's message how human logic often tells us the opposite of what God is actually doing in our lives. Where we look at things, and there's a balance, I understand, but logic will often say, no, God couldn't certainly be doing that. Well, the disciples had every reason to say the same thing. God would never allow the storms of life to get so bad without him with us, not unless he was going to show us something about himself. And is it possible that you're going through something right now so that God will show you his faithfulness? You say, well, why did the disciples need to learn this? Because they were human beings. And human beings doubt. Human beings are afraid. And we all get like that. And the Lord wants to prove to us his unbelievable ability, but mostly because he loves us. And I think Peter understood it's not for him to decide what's best. Meaning he knew it was foolish to do something that God had not commanded him to do. And so he says, Lord, command me to come out. In other words, Peter probably thought for a second, I could just jump out of the boat and run to him. That might have been his immediate inclination, but he waited and first ask the Lord if it was okay. That's a real lesson for us. I think anytime we're, trying, we're thinking of being impetuous, we need to back up. Jesus modeled this in his prayer, right? He didn't just go out and save the guys on the boat. He first went to his father. We need to do the same thing. Often we're very quick to just do what we're going to do and make decisions and follow them instead of stepping back and saying, you know what? What we really need to make sure of here, however big or small this situation is, is what does God think? What does God want from me? in this particular situation. And you can put yourself in whatever that is for you. And so Jesus, knowing Peter's heart, he says in verse 29, come on, Peter. He gets out of the boat, walks on the water, and comes toward Jesus. But walking on the water only lasts as long as Peter kept his focus. Seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. 
And he cried out one of the most wonderful prayers that anybody could ever say in their lifetime. Lord, save me. Isn't it interesting how he didn't have to come up with a lot of words? But all he had to do was say, Lord, save me. Started looking at the situation. We've talked about that. You understand it well. And he did what he do, what people do. He got scared, began to look all around him, and he started to sink. Doubt gripped him. He probably thought, I'm not supposed to be doing this. This goes against everything that's humanly reasonable and logical. People don't walk on water, especially in the midst of a storm. That's what he means when he started looking at all the stuff around him. And beloved, that's us, right? We start looking at all the stuff going on around us and we let doubt start taking over. We get overwhelmed and then we start worrying. We start getting anxious and fearful and all the things that come in to take over our hearts. And we begin then to lose our way. If you're with us in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress on Wednesday night, you know that was Christian's problem. He's on the path to the celestial city, but along the way he gets diverted because of his own fears or bad decisions or whatever, just the natural pulls of life in some ways, and he loses his direction until God sends evangelists to come and and put him back on the path. Well, that's us. So when we're off course... We just simply need to get back to Jesus. Notice immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now I need to say this right here because it's not that Jesus was saying to Peter, you've never had faith. That was not the point. Peter had lots of faith. Peter was the ringleader in faith at this point. That's why he was saying, I want to follow you. The point was not that. The point was in this moment, Jesus was saying to him, in this storm of your life, in this scenario, why are you doubting me? Why are you doing that? Well, here's the answer, Peter. Because you have very little faith. God wanted him to know. You may have followed me well in these other ways. You may be the leader in where the others need to go as far as the other 11 disciples. But in this moment, Peter, I'm telling you, you're doubting because you're not really believing me. Very little faith. Isn't it interesting that the Lord always brings them back to faith? Always fights their sin with bringing himself up again, pointing himself out. And I think, again, the challenge is, I'm sure Peter thought, I I don't lack faith. I'm a faithful man. I left everything to follow you. Remember that? I gave up my livelihood. I surrendered my family. I've suffered through ridicule and, and the pain of all of what it means to do something crazy like follow a Jewish teacher, which would have been somewhat normal then. But Peter did understand, and we have record of this in the text, we've left everything to follow you, Lord. And so I'm sure in Peter's mind that statement might have been a little strange. What do you mean? I've lost faith. Not like the other people who denied you, probably thinking about the people from his own hometown in Nazareth. They left you. They denied you, not me. And all that's true, 
The Lord could have said, yes, that's true, Peter. But I think what the Lord wanted Peter to know was faith is the key to everything. Faith is the key to everything for the life of the true believer. Everything. Friend, I'm so glad again that you had us repeat those lyrics that you did. Because there, there are lines in the song that the writer, whomever, and I don't know the music well enough to know, but was able to say, this is what we stand on. We constantly go back to the Lord in everything, not just at certain times, but in everything. That was Jesus' model. Go to the Father, go to the Father, go to the Father. Every day, every moment of life is to be lived in faith, believing that God is in control of no matter what it is and that all he wants from us is to trust him. Trust him. Not look at the situation, but look at the situation and say, aha, but we have a God who can get us through this and he will provide. And let me close with this. One last thing. This is beautiful. Verse 32. When they got into the boat, what happened? The storm stopped. Now again, don't you, don't you just kind of love how the Holy Spirit does stuff like this? It's like, oh, oh let, me, let me just remind everybody reading this. The storm is raging and all of a sudden they're in the boat and well, you remember that from Matthew 8? Jesus says, peace be still, and immediately it was calm. Same thing happens all over again. But listen to this. John takes it a little bit further and says, here's something else that happened. You don't have this in Matthew, but if you go to John 6, 21, John tells us immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So not only did the storm stop while they're in the middle of the ocean or the middle of the sea, but they're immediately transported to the shore. It's like, whoosh, 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 boom, right there. And it gives more credibility to why they, Matthew tells us they worshiped him, saying, you certainly are God's son. Nobody can do what you do. And I have to believe Jesus would say, Good job, guys. That's what I wanted you to know. I really am God, and I can do anything. Beloved, are you amazed at the work of God in your life? Sometimes I stand amazed at the work of God. I think I stand more amazed at the work of God in the times where I don't think God is going to really be able to pull something off. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know logically and you know intuitively your faith is there that you believe God can do it. But there's that thing inside of you that's a part of your sinfulness that says, ah, but just that little three-letter word. And then he does something and you're just overwhelmed by him. You're just so blessed. And he proves again himself after the years and years and years of walking with him, you just stand fixated and all you can do is just worship him. Wow. Man. Did you see that? Is that incredible? Boy, he's awesome. 
What an incredible God. I have to believe I'm filling in the gaps for the disciples. You imagine the conversation? What just happened? All I know is we were feeding 5,000 people. That wasn't supposed to happen. We take up baskets full of food. And the next thing I know, we're sent off into the boat and we're rowing like we normally do. And that would have been a very normal thing. This big storm comes up. They're terrified because they don't know what's going to happen. They're pretty sure they're going to drown. Jesus comes walking on the water. And then the next thing they know, they're on the shore. Oh, let's not forget Peter walks out to Jesus on the water too. (laughs) Did I see what I just saw? The sad part, I think, and I don't want to be negative here because we really are going to close, but the sad part to me is that the disciples would still need more, right? They would still need more proof, just like the rest of them. When Jesus was finally taken to be crucified or when he was taken to be judged, what did they do? They scattered. Doubt took over again. Fear took over again. But Jesus in his kindness and his graciousness, his mercy, showed up on the day of resurrection and said, boys, 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 you don't need to be afraid. It's me. It's me. And so don't be ashamed or don't belittle yourself because you struggle at times. Just understand that you have a God who loves you and he knows your weaknesses. I'm thankful he knows my weaknesses even more than my wife knows my weaknesses. And she knows a lot of them. I'm thankful that he knows. And he still makes himself available, even though there are times where I I live in doubt. And so praise his name. So we're going to close right here, and Trenton will come, and and we'll just close out our service here. And um, I pray that you'll have a heart of worship, though. You know, that you'll just kind of see yourself with the disciples. Put yourself with them in the boat and how you would respond. I mean, some of you won't even go out on the boat at night in a nice lake when the moon's out and fireworks are going off. I'm not throwing off on Christian because I probably wouldn't do it either. Much less get in a boat that's storm going all over the place. You get the point. So let's worship him together right now. Okay. Father, we thank you for this time. and um, Thank you for a reminder from a story that many of us have heard and read and taught through many, many, many times, but it's really timeless. And we thank you, Father, that you are patient, that you are gracious, uh, that you really just want us to believe you when things don't even make sense to us in our human minds. Thank you for being able to overcome the most amazing obstacles, unbelievable obstacles that only you could do because you're God. And so we worship you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Well, I invite you to stand and sing this closing song together. Sunset free, oh, it's free.
Thank you for the privilege and the joy of worshiping you this morning. And thank you, Lord, through the record of your word, you've given to us examples of people just like us who desire so greatly to follow you and yet struggled and stumbled at times. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances, and you continually prove yourself. So, Lord, may we live our lives of worship, knowing that this life is not about us, and about what we accomplish, but it's about just simply following you. 
And so, Lord, we would ask that you would minister to that heart right now this morning that needs you most. Or perhaps somebody's here today saying, I want to know this God. I've heard about him. I've heard people talk about him, but I don't know him personally. Father, I pray that you'd help that person to just receive you as Lord and Savior. And if they'd like to chat, we'd love to do so at the end of the service. So again, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that Trent could be with us. We pray for Hamp and for Missy and for the rest of our worship team. We pray for all those that may be struggling with some sickness today and ask that you would heal them according to your perfect plan and will for their lives. We pray now in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord's blessings to you all. Have a good day. Don't forget to stay for the the food.